Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. As we've been looking at Matthew, right, I have um, introduced this in a, in a similar, almost verbatim, verbatim uh, manner um, each week. So, repetition is the key to learning, and the key to learning is repetition. Good, okay? So, Matthew is a Jew, or a Jewish man, who is speaking to a, come on, Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. Good job, okay? So, we've got a Jewish man talking to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah, okay? And so, again, we've got to kind of come to that understanding as we do some of this stuff. And today is going to be another one of these fun moments where... The, the real full impact of, of this, really, you don't get unless you're a Jew, you know, at least a Jew 2,000 years ago, even specifically, okay? And I'm not saying we're going to draw out all of that, but I think that, again, as we look at both segments that we're going to look at today, the feeding of the 5,000 and the warning against false doctrine, that we've got to consider um, what is actually taking place in this moment. So um, we've gone through this. We're in the instruction phase of of Jesus. He's getting ready to leave the earth. He's, he's given some final instructions, if you would, to his disciples. He's taking them on a journey. We're going to look at this in a moment. We've talked about the parables of the kingdom, dealing with trials um, from the heart, that, that what we do comes from our heart. Last week, uh, from last week, we talked about that, and today we're going to get into this concept of false doctrine, okay? But over this, just this little phase, this instruction phase, we've gone on a journey, okay? So now that we've got a good crisp um, projector, I thought I'd take us on a little bit of a the journey so we can see, um, because again, sometimes reading through, we kind of miss what's actually going on. You know, we kind of feel like everything's happening right here in Martinez Evans. You know, he might have went on a long journey and went to Hepzibah. You, you know, okay? Um, you laugh, but I li- used to live in Hepzibah, right? You guys travel from Hepzibah, and it's a longer journey. People who live in Martinez want everything... Like here, I mean, if I got to travel more than five minutes, I, I'm, I, I'm just like, oh, I can't believe this. And so I got a Walmart within a mile and a half on one side and a Walmart a mile and a half on the other side. I got a Home Depot and a Lowe's on one side. I mean, a Home Depot and Lowe's on the other side. You need to live right in this little area. This is phenomenal. I got restaurants everywhere. If I got to travel more than five minutes someplace, I feel like I've been, I, I, I got to talk to the government about something. So anyways, entitlement mentality, you know, <laughs> anyways, so. We have a personal problem. That's exactly right. Okay. Oh, a first world problem. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And we don't want the preacher to preach more than half an hour. Well, you guys don't. You gave that up a long time ago. Anyways. No. <laughs> you're still hanging out. 30 years later, you're still hanging out. <laughs> so, so here we are. Okay, we're in, in Israel, and we're specifically at the Sea of Galilee. Okay, we're in the northern part. And I want to go back to that one so you can see where we're at. Because this is, down here is the Jezreel Valley. That's the Valley of Armageddon or Armageddon, okay? Um, way down further is Jerusalem, okay? But, um, but we're going to come in, you can see where Nazareth is, and we're going to come into this section right here, okay? Draw it in just a little bit closer here, okay? And uh, in Capernaum is where Jesus has um, initiated his ministry. It's what he's adopted, remember, as his hometown. And so we talked about this because um, it was here that he gave his parable teaching, okay? He came out of the house, Peter's house, okay? And he went down to the, the shoreline, and it was there that he was giving this teaching, okay? 
And so there is some natural amphitheaters. Um, Chuck, you, I think you went there, right? Okay. There's natural amphitheaters. Steve, you've been there. Okay. There's some natural amphitheaters that happen right there on the right there on the coastline. It's really kind of cool. You can be down there at the boats, and it's kind of built up like this. And you can have a um, people just kind of all sitting all around. Okay. And so as he's teaching the parables, um, that would have been there. And then from there, he took a long trip. Okay. Now remember, he didn't get into his new 2014 uh, Honda, right? And travel. He got into what? His sandals and, <laughs> and, and, and took a walk, okay? And so this is a trek um, all the way back to his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth is actually at the top of the mountain. It overlooks the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Armageddon, okay? And so he has to, to traverse this, and he's got to go, um, again, altitude and everything. It's, a, it's not a, a, just a, like, I'm going there for the day type thing. So he takes his travel, and this is where he's in the synagogue of Nazareth. From there, he travels back, and then he gets on a boat, and he goes to Bethsaida. Because as he's traveling back, note that he passes by where? Tiberias. Do you know what about Tiberias? That's where Herod's palace would have been. Okay, Herod Philip. And so that's where John would have been beheaded. So more than likely, he was traveling back toward Capernaum when he found out that John had been beheaded, right? So he hears this news, and he comes up, and there's people all around, and he just wants to what? Be alone. He wants to get away. So he gets on a boat here at Capernaum. He goes over Bethsaida, but you can see it's not that long of a journey. And the people check out the boat, and they see that it's just going a little bit to the, to the east, right? And so they begin to do what? They walk along the shoreline, and they meet him over there, okay? So that's what's happened there. And so you can kind of, kind of picture what's happening. So from Bethsaida, so he, he um, feeds the, how many? 5,000, that was just 5,000 men, okay, not counting the women and children, okay, and from that point, what does he do? He goes up on the mountain to pray, and they send his, he sends the disciples away, and they go over to Gennesaret, not to Capernaum, okay, a little further down on that southwestern, um, southern, south of Capernaum on the western shore, Okay, and so they're cutting across, and so if you remember from a while back when we were sharing this, there is an opening up in here, okay, and right in through there, where storms would pass through. All of a sudden, these gusts of wind would come in when the storm's coming from the west, okay, and remember all this because this is things that happen, and Jesus is going to um, challenge um, the, the Pharisees and stuff about some of these things, and, um, and so these gusts would come in, and so it would take them by surprise, and then all of a sudden they would get pushed into the middle of the sea. Make sense? So these guys are rowing, they're, they're oaring, they're, they're, they're struggling against it, and, they, and they're making any headway. They, they wonder what's going to happen to them, and then all of a sudden what? Jesus comes walking this way. When Jesus comes walking that way, you got a, a little side thing again. Jesus is walking on the water. Which way is the storm coming from? He's walking into the storm. They can't make any headway against the storm. Jesus is walking against the storm, just kind of walking on up, you know. And you can kind of picture then the disciples thinking, this has got to be, I mean, I mean, we're getting blown away. This thing is walking, whatever this thing is, okay. And so if they're out here, it's not like they see him specifically. Oh, that's Jesus coming off the shore, right? They're in the middle of the storm. Which way are they focusing? 
west, and all of a sudden, one of them looks back and sees this thing coming at them, right? So anyways, but that's what's happening here. They go to Gennesaret, okay? From Gennesaret now, he takes them on a huge journey. Again, we just kind of read about this, and we think, oh, it's just they went next door. They didn't go next door. They took this long journey. I, don't, I can't tell you the mileage. Okay? But you can kind of see the perspective here. Okay? Remember when I showed the Sea of Galilee? The Sea of Galilee is about the size of um, Clark's Hill. Okay? A little bit smaller um, in actual height, um, north to south. So if you picture the, the, um, the Clark Hill here, okay? so that would be like walking up to Elberton. Make sense? So if you're, um, yeah, I, I would say that's kind of like you're going... You, you up here, went over to Lincolnton, and, and then you went west, although that's north there, but you go take west and you go to, to or no, actually continue north to Elberton. You, or you can go west and you go to Washington. Anyways, for those who are not understood, you have to look at the map. But anyways, but it's a distance, okay, especially when you are on foot. You're walking, okay. Sandals, exactly right. They would have more callous feet than we would, um, but he took this journey for one reason. What was the journey? What was the reason? The healing of the Gentile woman's daughter. He had an appointment. That's where the woman said, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. An amazing statement, okay? So he took his disciples all the way there. What do you think is happening while they're traveling? Teaching. Teaching. Conversation. We're not privy to that. All we get is what is, is, is written for us. But this whole long way, Jesus is, is, is hanging out. We would call it just hanging out. He's hanging out with his disciples. And, you know, more than likely, they're talking about things that happened down there. They're probably talking about the storm. They're probably talking about this. And Jesus is just dealing with life issues with them. Okay? And, um, you know, again, how much food did they take along with them? Because we're going to find that out in a moment. Because, you know, there are times that they, they're supposed to be taking food and they forget to take food and all this kind of stuff. And so all these things are going on. They're stopping someplace and they're buying, you know, um, falafels someplace and whatever else that they're, they're eating, you know. And um, say again. Huh? Well, it's hummus in the, uh, in the falafels, too. That's even what a falafel, a falafel ball is. It's really chickpeas ground up and put together. Hummus is just chickpeas made into a sauce. Anyway, so you got chickpeas on chickpeas. Anyways, um, and I like it. Oh, this is, that was the worst day of my life when I realized that those weren't meat. I love those Israeli tacos. What kind of meat is it? There's no meat in it. Oh, yeah, there are. What are those little meat patties? Chickpea patties. Ah, oh, garbanzo beans ground up and mixed it. It was a bad day. Anyways, my, my, my anti-vegetarianism really had a uh, problem that day. Anyways, so now I even go out and order falafels. How's that? Is that even worse? I know it. Um, so from Tyre now, okay, that's where we ended, okay? Tyre, he's going to take this next journey, okay? And he's going to take this journey. Now, what it says when, when Chuck read this, they bypassed. They bypassed. So they came down through. I don't know if you can see there's a little road up here, okay? And a lot of trails and roads um, today have been put where they always have been. Did you ever ride through a mountain? And the roads just were put where? Where the wagons originally were traveling anyway, right? And so that's the way they traveled. And they came down through this, this rift valley. And they would have passed by on the non-Jewish side. Okay? That's what it means when he bypassed. He bypassed the Jewish population. Okay? This is a big deal. Okay? Jesus, again, was a Jewish man. He was a Jewish Messiah. 
all of his disciples were Jewish. Where is he taking them? The wrong side of the, the railroad tracks. This, this is the wrong side of the railroad tracks. If you're Jews, this isn't the place you're hanging out. Now, when, when he healed the, um, the, the demoniac, remember? That was over here. Okay? You see where the hippos is. Okay? But that was over in this area right here. Okay? But they only went there for a what? A brief moment. They went over there, healed the demoniac, and what? And left. You know, almost as a, a Jewish person, left before they became unclean, you know? And, uh, and so, but now he's, he's, he's walking them straight on through this whole area. You know, this is all pig area. You know, I mean, so, I mean, I, I say that, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, these are Jewish people. This is pig area. This is not the area that you're hanging out. A good Jewish boy wouldn't be hanging out here, okay? So, think about this sometimes when God calls people, right? And he takes them to the undesirable place. The place that what? A good Christian boy wouldn't go. Okay? So, so I'm not saying we need to you know, go down to Broad Street or whatever, okay? But the reality is, okay, that that's where Jesus is going. Make sense? He, he's going to the, to, the, to the people that the, the Jewish people didn't even consider to be people. They weren't persons. They weren't people. Okay? They were Gentiles. Okay? And so he goes down into what's called the Decapolis. Decapolis literally means uh, ten cities. Okay? And they were the ten Gentile cities. Okay? That he goes into. And so that's where we see the end of 15, where he's coming down into this area now. So he goes from one Jewish place, Tyre, which has a a huge um, history, and I don't want to go into all that, down into Decapolis. Okay, so he's going from Gentile territory to Gentile territory to Gentile territory. Okay, and so when he gets down there, then um, we see that he begins this ministry. Okay, and so we've talked about the Malu. Okay, and now this ministry. And what we see first before the feeding of the five four thousand. Okay, is that there were a great multitude coming to him, having lame, blind, muted, maimed, and many other. And they laid him at the down at the feet of Jesus, and he what? And he healed them. This is kind of exciting. Where is he at? Generality, again. Gentile territory. He's in the southeastern portion of the Sea of Galilee. Where is his ministry, if you would, his healing ministry primarily taking place? Visualize the map. Where was Capernaum? Northwest. Northern northwest. So he's in the farthest spot. Does that make sense? And yet, when he gets down there, the people already know who he is. And word of his coming has been spread out, such that they're doing what? They're bringing the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. For what purpose? Who are they bringing him to? No, oh, put your uh, I, Jesus. That's you're thinking like an American. Who are they bringing him to? The Jewish Messiah. Do you get that? This is huge. These are Gentiles. These are pagans. And they recognize who Jesus is, his power. Now, whether they, he's not necessarily God, they don't get that. Make sense? 
but they understand that he's at least a powerful prophet. And they're willing to submit themselves like the Syrian king did with Naaman and send him to the Jewish prophet, to the prophet of Israel. Do you remember when Naaman, Naaman came to be healed of his leprosy? And remember what Elisha told him? What was, what was the healing? To go dip into the Jordan River seven times. How did Naaman react to that? Not so good, huh? Not a nasty river. I got, we got better rivers where I'm from. And his servant, I wonder whether this was a, a Jewish servant as well, like the Jewish girl servant who was the first to remind them of there's a prophet in Israel, right? And he said, but would you have done something, you know, if he asked you to do something great, would you have done it? What would it hurt if you just dip yourself? Well, okay, I'll dip myself. Now, did he dip himself out of true faith, necessarily? No, but it was a baby step of what? Faith. Do you get it? Because he, he humbled himself and was willing to do this, right? And so what happened? He got healed, right? And it forever changed his who God was. Make sense? He now understood that the God of Israel was the true God of Israel. Does that make sense? Look what happens here. This is exciting stuff. So then the multitude marveled, and they what? They glorified the God of Israel. Now, they glorified God. See, whenever we're in the Jewish territory, that's what we read, and they glorified God. We understand it. But we're in the, we're in the pagan territory. And so we're specifically told. These pagans, these Gentiles, that's us, brought their infirmed, if you would, whatever, to Jesus. A baby step of faith. For whatever reason they were coming, whether there was just selfish motivation, maybe this guy can cast out, it, you know, whatever, da-da-da-da-da, whether it was they were accepting the fact that he was a Jewish Messiah and they were going to follow him, probably not. I mean, whatever the reasons were, God knew what their reasons were. Do you get it? And they came, they saw, they experienced, and they what? Believed. They believed. And they praised the God of Israel. This is really cool stuff. When we have the neighborhood picnic, we're not healing people and whatever else. But it's an opportunity to get people to what? To come. Not that we want to make a bigger fishbowl. You know, we need to go out to them. And so we go out to them and invite them and we try to interact with them. Does that make sense? Okay. But the idea still is, this is a, a group gathering thing. They got to come, they got to see, they got to experience. And they got introduced to the Messiah. And they praised the God of Israel. What's the ultimate goal of going out and meeting with people? What's the ultimate goal of, of trying to get people to come? is to get them to praise the God of Israel. The one and only true God. There is only one God. There's a whole lot of small G gods. We talked about that in Sunday school, right? And we struggle with that as, as believers as well. And Americans, clearly, we, we, are, um, we are Western culture, so we don't have idols. But we do have idols everywhere. In fact, we know, again, New York this week, bow down. They showed how far they're willing to prostrate themselves to, the, to, the, um, to Chemosh and Moloch. 
Okay, and you say, what? Chemosh and Moloch? Chemosh and Moloch were the gods of, of, in the ancient days and still are that required infant sacrifices. What do you think we're doing with the abortion industry? Behind the gods are demons. Demons are still out there. They're not bound like amillennialism wants to teach you. This is not, not so stuff. Spiritual wars happening. And New York proclaimed that they worship the god of Chemosh and Molech. No, they didn't state it that way, did they? But that's it. It's paganism. Read, read Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. How much he talks about idolatry and stuff like that. We, we've just made it palatable to us. No, we don't, we, don't, we don't bow down to those things. Really? They gave a standing ovation in the New York chamber when they decided that you could kill a baby up to a moment before it's born. Those of you who had children, I mean, I could, I could sit there and I could debate somebody who, who wants to, comp- you know, can't comprehend the first three months, it's a fetus, whatever, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, I don't believe it, I don't agree with that, but I can almost understand a debate on it. Make sense? To debate? To applaud? A baby that is about to be born, being killed? And say it's not out of the womb, therefore it's not a baby? And yet, we would throw somebody in jail if they did that to a litter of puppies? How warped. Professing themselves to be wise, they became... And yet God loves them just like he loved these pig worshipers. And if you come next week to Ezekiel, we'll talk more about these pig worshipers. As today we talked about Ishtar, and you might be glad you didn't have your kids there. Okay, right? <laughs> little PG-13. And, um, but next week we're going to move on into Tammuz and stuff like that. This was all going on in, in Israel. They're still struggling in Grecian days. We're still struggling with in our day today. We just give other names to them. But they came. And so Jesus had this ministry. Now, before he feeds them, this is important, before he feeds them, he what? He ministered to them. Do you get it? He didn't just feed them. He gave them the truth. Though we're not told here necessarily, I think he probably taught them as well. Okay? And so all this is going on. But then we have the meal. Okay? And so we're told... Again, he tells the, um, the disciples that he wants them to feed him. But this comes as a result of Jesus, first of all, again, looking out to the multitude and seeing the what? The need. Jesus had compassion on the multitude. Compassion. He has compassion for these people. He knows who they are. It doesn't take him by surprise. I think of Simeon, or Simon, the, the Pharisee, who says to Jesus later, you know, when he's in the house and, and the woman comes in and, and washes Jesus' his, his, his feet with his, with her tears and stuff, and he's thinking to himself, if, this, if, if he really was a prophet, he would what? He'd know who this woman was and he wouldn't be letting her t- touch his feet, you know? And so Jesus knows exactly who all these pagans are, who are here in the Decapolis. It, it wasn't like he lost his, his, his bearing when he was coming down the road and he went, wow, we should be in Capernaum by now. Where are we at? He knew exactly where he was at. And he still has compassion on these people, even though they're not 
Jews. Make sense? It gives you that other side. Remember, because remember how we talked to the, 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 um, the woman of Tyre Sidon? He says, woman, it's, 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 it's not right to give the, the food for, meant for the children to the dogs. He was calling her a what? A dog, in a sense. But he was only stating what was stated and giving her the opportunity, again, to wow the disciples. Because she comes back and says what? But even, even the dogs get to eat crumbs. All I want is a crumb. I've been meditating on that all week, being a dog for Jesus. Am I willing to even get the crumbs? Am I willing to sit at my master's feet? Am I willing, am I willing to, to dote on wherever? I mean, I just think Shiloh follows me wherever I go. If I'm in a bathroom, she's sitting at the bathroom door. You know, if I go into the living room and I'm sitting in a, in a recliner, she wants to come over and to play and to spend time with me and, and sit at my feet. Do, do you get it? I mean, that, a dog. Do I want that with my Lord, with my master? Anyways, so he has compassion on, on them. But note this, this next part. This is exciting for me. Because again, he has compassion on these people because of their commitment. Give me a little detail. What's happening here? As Chuck read it, so Chuck, you can't answer this. Somebody else. What, what is a big deal? What's their commitment? Good, Brian. Oh, there you're going to say it. Read it. It's not hard. It's right there. They've been with him what? Three days. Without what? Without food. Okay, let's put it into our, 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 our lingo. What were they doing? They were fast. They were starving. <laughs> I love it, Michelle. You're right. They were starving. They were fasting for three days. And at the end of three days, if you ain't used to fasting, you're what? Starving. But these people decided that the word of God, the presence of God, was more important than food itself. When's the last time you fasted three days? Don't tell me. I'm not asking when's the last time you even fasted one day. When's the last time you fasted three days? Not to mention five or seven. Three days. Three days. These pagans went without food because they found something better than food itself. It was the presence of Jesus. And we who are called by his name, we who know him, how hard is it for you to pass up a meal in order to spend time with Jesus? Or do you say, God, I'll be right back with you. Let me, let me, let me, let me thank you for the food while I'm, while I'm eating. Are you willing to fast for three days to have a better comprehension of who your Lord really is? Jesus said, remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, then da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This group of people, they were out food for three days. Jesus was impressed, if you would. He had compassion on them. And he said, we're not sending them away like this. We're going to feed them. In the same disciples who just a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago saw him do what? Feed 5,000 in Jewish territory. In Jewish territory. You get it? Now they're where? They're Gentile, pagan territory. Did they not think, hey, he could do this too? Did they not think, hey, this is the second opportunity. I can show how much faith I got this time. 
What are we going to... We can't. There's no way we can do this. All we've got is seven loaves in a few little fish. That's exactly little fish. That's exactly right. And the Greek word literally lets you know it's a, just a teeny fish. Okay. And the word oligos is few. We just have a few little fish. <laughs> this isn't like we got the big ones. We got little ones here. Okay. This would be enough for us maybe to have a little snack. For what? For a boy. Yeah, I, well, probably more than just a boy, okay? This probably would, they, they, the disciples probably could head lunch on this. Like I said, it wasn't going to be a, uh, a, what do you call it? A feast. But, but they had seven loaves, cut them in half. Makes sense? A few little fish, each nibble on the, the, you know. They weren't meat eaters as much as we are today, okay? You know, we, we think about that. We think, well, dude, I, I need to have at least a quarter pound, you know. Maybe give me a third pounder. They didn't, they didn't eat like that. They didn't eat meat like that at the time. Okay? And um, so as Americans, we, again, as Mark said, first, it's a first world problem. that You don't eat like this in, in other areas. Okay? Meat is a, commo- is a precious commodity. So, um, so they fail again, though, right? And so the failure of the disciples, they, 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 they hear it and they do what? We can't do this. And so Jesus feeds them. He does the exact same thing as the feeding of the 5,000. He blesses it, breaks it, gives it, and they send it out, right? And then he sends them back around to what? Collect the leftovers, okay? And so real brief, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but this is, again, Jewish person, you're going to understand this, okay? Um, They took up how many baskets? Seven. How many did they take up with the 5,000? Twelve. This is a huge statement, okay? A Jewish person would understand. They took up 12 when they were in the, in the Jewish territory, symbolic of one for every tribe. Seven, if you go all the way back, and you have this on your sermon note sheets, okay, and I don't think I put it up here for you because I don't, didn't figure I had time to go through this, but you can look um, through all this back in Deuteronomy 7, um, 1 to 10, Psalm 22, Isaiah 49, okay, you can look at some of this stuff. But there, in the Deuteronomy passage specifically, it refers to the seven Gentile nations. Okay? The Amorites, the Ammonites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites and such. And so the Jebusites. Anyways, and so you can go... Say again? Seven large baskets. Well, seven... Right, and there's seven large baskets, okay? And the idea is, though, that there's seven because he's in where? He's in the Gentile territory, the pagan territory. Even though it's called the Decapolis 10, the Jewish people understood that the Gentile world consisted of the seven nations. That's who they drove out, okay, the seven nations. And so Jesus is making a statement here. He purposely goes to Tyre, bypasses the Jewish territory, goes into the Gentile territory, and feeds the people just like he fed the Jewish people. He healed them just like he healed them. He taught them just like he taught the Jews. Do you get it? So Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Do you get it? It's to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. There is no distinction, is what Jesus is showing here. Even though he came as a Jew, the Jewish people, as a Jewish Messiah, he was going to be the Messiah for for everyone. And that his Jewish disciples needed to start getting a grip on this. Such that we see Peter, though, 
still when, when, when God is getting ready to open up and take the gospel all the way to the world, right? Because he says to them in Acts 1.8, he says, you shall be what? Witnesses. Not, I want you to be witnesses, but he says to them, you shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? Where? Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the world. What happened at Pentecost? You had these Jewish men, Peter, specifically think Peter, and the other Jews with him, who began to proclaim the gospel where? In Jerusalem and all Judea. Many people got saved, right? The next thing happens, right? We have from Acts 1.8, we have to go to Acts 8.1, because the Jewish people, the believers, really enjoyed it in Jerusalem. They, stu- they hung out in Jerusalem. God sent to them, Acts 8.1, God sent to them something special. What did he send them? Persecution. He sent Saul. <laughs> Saul, became, before he became Paul, and became a, a preacher of the gospel, was a spreader of the gospel. Now, he didn't necessarily mean to spread the gospel, but he was the one who brought that persecution along that what? Scattered the church. And as they scattered, they took with them the, the gospel. Okay, And so the next thing we see in Acts 8, though, after the, the, the scattering of the church, is that Philip goes to... Samaria, the Samaritans, again, I don't have time to go on to this, was, a, was a, a group of half-breeds, okay? And I don't mean that derogatory, that's what they would consider them, okay? They were, they were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, okay? They were from the Assyrian takeover of the land, and when, when they would practice the amalgamation and secretism of, of the nations, and so they would take Jews out and they would deport them in, into other parts of the of the nation, but then they would bring also in other nations, and they would want them to intermix. Okay, so the Samaritans were considered to be this not pure Jews; they were mixed. Okay, that's why when you read, and we'll do some more of that with them later. There's this disdain that Jewish people have for Samaritans. Okay, because they're not real Jews. Okay, so the gospel goes there. So Philip goes there, but. There, it needs to be testified that it's really happening. So how is it testified that it's really happening, that the gospel really went to the Samaritans? Anybody remember? The elders of Jerusalem sent a contingent, contingency, uh, what a contingent, to Samaria. Who headed up that contingent? I heard it. Peter. That's exactly right. Peter goes, right? And Peter's the one who lays hands on them. They, get, they receive the Holy Spirit. And he has to say what? They're good to go. These people have become saved. Okay? So now we go from Acts 8 into 9, where Saul becomes Paul. Okay? And he, and he gets his ministry. But then we go to Acts 10. And in Acts 10, something very important happens. Acts 10, Peter goes, right? And he, and he heals um, Lydia, I think it is, right? And while he's at Simon the Tanner's house, okay? He goes up onto the roof for lunch, right? Before lunch. And he's, he's hungry, and while he's there, he receives a vision. He's in meditation, and he, and, he, and he has a vision, and God tells him what? Well, he didn't necessarily tell him the guys are going to show up. He drops the blanket, and remember, it's unclean stuff. And he tells him to, to arise and eat. And, and Peter says what? I can't do that. I have not, no, nothing unclean has come to my mouth. And, you know, even though I'm a fisherman, Lord, I mean, I have not done this. You know? And so where has he been with Jesus? He's, he's already been in his territory, but he's still 
the Jewishness is hard to get rid of, you know? I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. It's, I'm, here it is. I haven't been there for... I'm, I'm more southern than I am northern, you know? And yet I'm still what? I'm still a city kid, you know? I mean, I mean it, 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 you just can't get rid of it. It's all... That, that spunk is there, you know? And, and so, so there's Peter, right? And so Jesus has got to do this how many times with him? Three. Peter, whenever you think Peter, think three. He always has to hear things three times, okay? And so he does it three times, and then the guys come, and he goes because he knows that God is getting his attention. And so he goes where? To the Cornelius' house, who is the, the Roman centurion. That's the uttermost part of the world. And it is Peter, a Jew, who now is struggling. Not Paul, but Peter, who has to stand there in this Gentile territory, if you would, and watch Jesus do this thing one more time. To open up the gospel. And so I think this is an important event because Jesus is undoubtedly bringing this back to, to Peter. Look, Peter, this isn't the first time. I'm not asking you to do something that I didn't do myself. I took you into this area. I took you in the Gentile area. We weren't unclean because of it. And so the four, the, the seven baskets is Jesus's is declaration. Well, from there, we go to Magdala, okay? Mary Magdalene, this is where Mary is from, Mary of Magdala, okay? And they go over to the area of Magdala, where we're going to see this testing and request for a sign, okay? So, so now they're going across this again. It's kind of interesting, because they get into the boat, and I'm thinking to myself, where do they get the boat? Remember? Because they went from here, they went along here, up to here, they came back down over here. Their boats are where? They're over there. How do they get a boat? Anyways, somebody, what? Donated a boat. Rented a boat. Donated, I think donated a boat. Okay? I mean, they were so impressed with the ministry and what Jesus did, probably somebody said what? Lord, just use mine. How cool is that, right? So just a little detail that I just kind of think about as I go through this. I'm going to go, you know, it doesn't tell us, but it's like, where did they get the boat? This is a big deal, you know? So they get over there, and the minute they get over to the other side, we see this altercation with the... So we're going to chapter 16. It's altercation with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the big deal here is we see, verse 1, it says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that they, he would show them a sign from heaven. This is a big deal. Okay? The word used there is the word periosmos. There is another word for testing. It's the word dakamos. We talk about these words a lot. So the word periosmos is the word that is used throughout the... It's a Greek word. Okay, I get that. But it's, it is the word that is translated um, tribulation, trouble, temptation. Okay? Um, there is no temptation. Periosmoi. There is no troublesome situation that has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God will, with the... We say temptation. Periosmos. Also make a way to what? Escape. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be periosmosed beyond what you're able to bear, right? So, the word periosmos is, is like a coin, okay? you got heads and you got tails. It's just a troublesome situation. Now, what it is to you is going to be revealed by how you respond to it. Flip the coin. It's heads. Guess what? It was a temptation. Do you know why? You gave in. It was a troublesome situation, and you gave in to it. Therefore, it was a what? It was a temptation. Okay? Flip the coin. 
its tails. It was a trial. In fact, James 1 says, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into divers kinds of what? Trials. But guess what? That's the word periosmos. Down in verse 12, it says, Blessed is he who endureth what? Temptation. Guess what? That's the word periosmos. That's the exact same thing. It's a, we like to divide the trials and the temptations. It's all the exact same event. The thing that defines what it is, is your response. When that thought process comes to your mind, where the billboard passes through you, whatever it is, whatever you, whether it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life that you struggle with, and you probably struggle with all three of those, but probably one of those is your, is your main biggie, right? And whatever it is, when it comes to your, in, in front of you, it's a troublesome situation. How you deal with it reveals whether it was a temptation or whether it was just a trial. Temptation reveals your sin and your need for growth. A trial reveals your faith and the level of your growth. Does that make sense? God allows it in your life. All things work together for good to those who what? Love God and are called according to his purpose, right? So, a docomos was the word that is for gold to test the gold to find out if whether it's what? Real or genuine. They weren't coming to make sure that he was genuine. Do you get it? They were coming to periosmos him, to trouble him, to try to cause him to sin. They weren't asking this question to find out if he was really real. They weren't asking for a sign so they could be assured this is the Messiah. They were asking for a sign because they wanted to cause him to stumble. So this was periosmos. Yep, exactly right. And Jesus then responds with this statement of the craving of the masses. A wicked and adult generation seeks after a sign for false Christ. Oh, um, seeks after a sign. Later, this is the end times where Jesus is talking Matthew 24. We'll get there in months from now. But for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. A wicked and an adulterous generation, this is what Jesus says, seeks after a sign. They're seeking a sign. It's not going to be any different in the last days. When do we think we're living? And where do you see so prevalent in the church? We're looking for what? For signs. I don't need a sign. I got God's word. That's enough for me to know. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, the love chapter. When it says, when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. I don't need signs and wonders because I know the love of God for me. When perfect love comes, the need for all those other things depart. I know he loves me. And when I love him, I don't need anything else. I, I just don't. I know he'll meet all my needs. He always does. I don't know where, how he's going to do it. I just know he is. So I don't need a sign. Now, I understand. I put out my fleece sometimes, too, to, to check out God's will. But it's not to know that he still loves me. It's not that he's still there. I just want to know his will. Does it make sense? And maybe I'm a little wrong on that kind of stuff. But, but I want to follow what he does. So we've got to keep moving on here, okay? Because he moves on to Bethsaida. And as he's going to Bethsaida, okay, um, in this testing and requesting a sign thing, um, while they're on the, on the water, the, um, 
the disciples go back to this thing, and they're trying to figure this out, because Jesus warns them to be careful of the what? The doctrine of these Sadducees and Pharisees. And, and the disciples are like, what, what's the deal here? You know, is it because we, we didn't take bread with us? Is it because of what happened at the 4,000 and the 5,000? And they're trying to figure all this stuff out, you know? And, and Jesus is like, you guys, get a grip. Haven't you figured this out? I don't need you to bring bread, physical bread. I can what? I can make it myself from nothing. <laughs> How cool is that, huh? <laughs> oh, okay, that'll save a little bit of room in the trunk, you know? <laughs> don't have to worry about bringing snacks, you know? Hey, Jesus, what'd you bring for snacks? I mean, it's pretty cool, right? Well, what do you want? Oh, I was thinking about a rice, rice cake or maybe some a block of raisins or whatever. Oh, yeah, okay, here we go. Here, you know, so... Why are you guys worrying about food? What do we worry a lot about? Food and material things like that, right? And this is Jesus saying, why are you worrying about this stuff? Do you not get it by now? I can provide this stuff for you. But rather, I'm talking about something bigger, something more important, something on the spiritual realm. You're thinking physical. You need to think spiritual. You need to change the way you think. Repent. And so he then talks to them, okay, about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And i got to go through this quickly. Um, but first of all, the doctrine of the Pharisees. Now, you understand the Pharisees, they were the conservative Jews, very ultra-conservative Jews. They believed in the Scriptures. They believed they were God-breathed, or that they were from God. However, as we saw last week, they added to them, and they elevated the oral law above the written law, okay? And so that became a negative thing there, okay? So even though they said they believed in the word of God, they what? They diminished it by putting their own traditions and their own beliefs above it, okay? There was an emphasis on external righteousness. They would wear their long flowing robes with their big wide phylacteries so that everybody would look at them and say, wow, these guys are really righteous, you got to get one of these. This is, this is a Bible tie. Do you see it with all the, the books of the Bible on it and that kind of stuff? This is a true scriptural tie. Okay? If you were anything else than something like this, or you know, one of the things with the cross on it, or with all the names of Jesus, if you're just wearing one of those things with a parrot on it or whatever, you are not wearing a true scriptural tie. And I tell you that you are not as spiritual and righteous as I am. Now, you know I'm joking, right? Some of you are looking like, whoa, he went up the deep end. This is one of those moments where I think it was Chuck said, you know, I really get something out of it. You know, Chuck's going to come in next week with a parrot on his tie. Anyways, just to prove me wrong. Anyways, so, but the point is, we tend to, you know, this is a laughter. But I, I used to pastor in the independent Baptist realm, okay? And, and I went to a very strong independent Baptist um, seminary. And I promise you, I've seen... Um, <laughs> ministries that would put a list on the doors. Women couldn't come in if they didn't have a skirt that was two inches below their knee. Now, I'm not mocking, but this is for real. I have my opinions on length of hair. I've shared that, but it's biblical. Women should have what? Long hair. Why? God's word said so. But I'm not going to what? Measure it. I'm not going to dictate what long hair is. God didn't say. He just said a woman's supposed to have long hair. When we start to go past the scriptures and we begin to define and we begin to judge people on their externals, do you get it? Now all of a sudden we got problems. There's a balance. 
Today's realm, we say just what? Come as you are. Okay, and we forget what God did do with the temple, okay, and how people did treat coming into the presence of God, okay? So there's a balance there, and I just want to challenge you with that, okay? Not that everybody has to wear dress clothes or attire or whatever, you know, again, years ago I wore a suit coat, you know, I understand culture and that kind of stuff, okay? So I'm not saying all that, but I'm saying is it's a mindset, it's changing the way we think, okay? How do I come to God? So an emphasis on external righteousness, I don't want, we, we don't want to go there, okay? That is, t- that's called legalism, okay? The doctrine of the Sadducees on the opposite realm, they are the liberals, okay? They're, they're our mainline denominations today. Okay, if you're looking at Christianity, our mainline denominations today, they don't believe the authority of the scriptures at all. I mean, it's amazing. You go to some churches and you think, why do you even meet? You have no basis of authority. I mean, the God, you've castrated God. You can't, but they do. Make sense? And, and they take God without power, and they make God in their own image, and they do whatever they want to do, and they speak whatever they want to speak. Again, I've talked about uh, you know, seeing that, and you know, read one verse of Scripture, then say well, whatever you want to say. That's the Sadducees. They deny the sinfulness of man. Does that sound like today? Man is born how? Good, innocent, yeah. No, we know that's not true. The Word of God says that everybody's born a what? A sinner. But that's not what the Sadducees believe. That denied sinfulness of man, that man was basically good. And then he denied the spiritual realm and the afterlife. We're getting there, aren't we? Even in the church, main nine denominations, you're starting to, starting to deny hell. Starting to deny in, in the fact that people, God would even send people to hell. I mean, you got, I can't remember the guy's name. It was up in Michigan. Bell, Rob Bell, is that who it was? The, the, the latest guy to, to come out with universal salvation. You know, a good God wouldn't send people to hell. How did he get there? He had to deny scripture. <laughs> you, you know, it's just an amazing thing. And so, so you begin to deny the word of God. I may not understand all the word of God, but the word of God is still what? The word of God. So in the end, false doctrine does two things. Okay, as a result. It takes our eyes off of God and promotes self. Phariseeism promoted self-righteousness. Sadduceeism, self-goodness. In the end, when you come around the, the bend... It's still what? It's all about me. Do you get it? So when you get into legalism, and it's all about my external righteousness, it's still all about what? Me. It's how I look. I can elevate myself above you because I'm more righteous than you. I'm more spiritual than you. It doesn't matter what's really going on in my life. Jesus said they were whitewashed sepulchers. The outside, they were what? They were looking good, but inside they were full of dead men's bones. Right? Secondly, you either lean toward legalism, which is an overfocus on the law, or license, which is a removal of the law. And we can read Galatians 5, 1 and 13, and you can read, go back and read those things. Okay? But you're going to see this. When, when you see false doctrine, it's going to go one way or the other. It's either going to point toward the law and people obeying the law legalistically in order to merit righteousness or favor of God. That's a denial of what? Grace. Do you get it? I mean, when you say that, it's a denial of grace. What can I do to merit more of God's favor? Nothing. Nothing. Everything I do is worthless. Apart from him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if God's doing the work through me, then it's of great value and great worth. If it's me who's doing it, it's worthless. 
Do you get it? It's all about God, not about me. But false doctrine always points back, always points back, always points back to the individual. Jehovah Witnesses are not going to endorse so they can do what? Say again? No. They can work their way to heaven. They're not coming to convert you. They want to convert you only because it helps them. Do you get it? Same thing with the Mormons. It's all about works. Christianity, true Christianity, true Christianity is the only religion that talks about grace. And when you really study the word of God, you realize that God wants us to be holy. Yes. But I don't earn merit by increasing in holiness. Because no matter how holy I am, I'm still what? I'm still a sinner. You obey the whole law, and yet you offend at one point. You are guilty of, of it all. So in the end, what is your faith, in what is your faith established? Do you need continually see signs, or do you have a confidence in the truth of God's message? What is the foundation of your faith? Is it the word of God, or is it human, human logic that doctored your doctrine? Okay? And I didn't have a lot of time to go into that, but you understand the point of all that. Are you willing to commit more time to the reading of God's word in order to have a greater understanding and grasp of true biblical doctrine? Listen, as we saw in the end times, false prophets and false apostles and false Christs are going to show up. And they're going to bring their false signs and their false doctrine. And if you don't know the truth, if you don't know what a real dollar bill looks like, you're going to accept the fake one. You get it? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the Most High God, and you are the source and author of truth. We praise you for it. Lord, help us to be faithful, to spend time in your word, to read, to study, to learn, that we might be able to discern when fake things come our way. And Lord, help us not to, to look for signs and wonders, but to look only to you. But Lord, help us as well to not to judge other people, whether they're in our minds, pagans or whatever, but Lord, that we know that, we, that you love them and that we want to minister to them to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.